I don't have much. Maybe I turn it off when I put it in my belt. All right, amen. Well, it's good to be here tonight, amen? amen. And uh, we thank God for this good music we've heard tonight. And uh, it's good to be able to get together and sing together, amen? Now, Lois and I are very happy to be here. And uh, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. And uh, always happy to come here and to be with you and enjoy the Word of God together. Something special about this book. You know what the Bible, the Bible says if you have doubts and you're facing despair or discouragement or uh, depression, you turn to this book and you read this book. And in this book, there's life and light. And it'll, uh, it'll, it'll give you light to guide your pathway and it will, it will give you life to enjoy in the fullest. I'd hate to have to face life without this book. I just don't know what I'd do. I, uh, I know that some people get along pretty good in life without uh, knowing the Lord. That is to say, at least it seems they do. But, but I, couldn't, I couldn't do that. When I've had to bury my loved ones and, and uh, miss them and uh, think of never seeing them here on this earth again, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't face that without the promise of this book that looks beyond the shadowy darkness of the tomb over into the land of light and life and Jesus. Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles with me, please, tonight uh, to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 13. I, I call this message The Tale of Two Cities. Because that's kind of what it is in the book of Acts, chapter 13. It's a tale of two cities with the same name. Now, that's kind of confusing. However, you know, in, our, in America, we have a lot of cities that share the same name, like Springfield. I think almost every state has a Springfield. And surprise, surprise, but uh, most of our states have a Clayton. They're not big towns, but there's a Clayton. And they're, they're in England, there's five cities by the name of Clayton. And so whenever you say, I'm going to go to Clayton, you'd have to distinguish which one you're going to. Uh, one in Suffolk or uh, one in uh, Basingstoke or wherever that Clayton is, you'd have to say, I'm going there. New Mexico, Ohio, uh, wherever a Clayton is found, that's where you, you have to distinguish it. Now, here's, a, here's the story of two cities with the same name. Now, as I said, that can be confusing. One time years ago, we were standing at a truck stop outside of Springfield, Missouri. We used to go out there and eat when we were students at Bible college, get away from town, <laughs> and the food was cheaper out there. And so we'd go out there and eat, and... Uh, we were, a bunch of us standing out there after we had eaten some, and in pulls a car. And those days, the parking lot was gravel. It wasn't, it wasn't paved. Most of those old truck stops were gravel out west. And so he came flying in there, dust and gravel, and pulled up, and he got out, and he came over to the, the, the attendant and said, uh, how far is it to Chicago? And he said, well, I don't know, probably about... Six or seven hours, something like that. Oh, the guy got so mad. 
He said, it can't be that far. I just went through Springfield. Well, he'd just gone through Springfield, Missouri, not Springfield, Illinois. And he jumped in his car and he threw gravels getting out of there because he was mad. We stand there laughing about it, you know. The dummy's in the wrong state. And uh, so we said, stand there laughing. Person, here he came back. He said, oh, I'm going to apologize to you. He said, uh, I thought that I was in the state of Illinois. He said, I must have made the wrong turn in St. Louis. He did, didn't he? Yeah, he, he had, he'd gone the wrong, and you could do that in St. Louis because they, when you got to St. Louis, there was a 60, Highway 66, there was an alternate 66, there was a city 66, and a bypass 66, and, and all it was, they'd just have a sign up, 66. So he'd get in St. Louis and just go around and around and around. I mean, and you couldn't ask anybody directions out of there because they didn't know how they even got there, let alone how you could get out. And it was a confusing mess. My wife and I remember going through that a lot of times, lost and trying to figure out way how to get out of that place, especially at night when you couldn't see the sun, which way was west or, north or east, you know. And, uh, but uh, a tale of two cities with the same name can kind of be confusing. Of course, travel can be confusing, right? Uh, no matter where you go, you can get in trouble traveling. Uh, and uh, I heard about an old man that went to the ticket agent to buy an airplane ticket. And they said, uh, the guy said, why, uh, what do you want? He said, I want a round trip ticket. And the guy said, well, where to? He said, to back here, of course. <laughs> uh, I heard about this woman that got on the plane and she was flying. Years ago, we used to have prop planes that was propeller driven, you know. And when I first started traveling, they had these great big radial engines and uh, great big, the exhaust pipe was that big around, so you can imagine how much noise they made. And uh, they got up in the air and this big old radial engines were running and actually they could run one probably on one engine after they got it going. And the pilot came over the loudspeaker and said, well, I'm sorry to tell you that one of our engines has failed. And uh, so we're going to get in a little bit late. So just kind of get ready for that because uh, one of our engines failed. One lady said, well, I hope they all don't fail. We'll be up here all night. Amen. <laughs> but uh, here's, a, here's a two towns with the same name. One of them in Acts chapter 13 is, is uh, Antioch of Syria. And they're about 300, 400 miles apart, these two towns. But the Bible says that in this Antioch of Syria, that uh, there were in the church there, and there's a lot to be studied and said about the church in Antioch of Syria. But the Bible says that there was, uh, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now here's a, quite a gathering of people. What happens is that there was persecution came to the church at Jerusalem, and a lot of the people left Jerusalem, and they went to other places, and when they went to other places, the Bible says in Acts chapter 11 that these men went to Antioch 
preaching the gospel. And uh, when they got there, they started preaching, and they gathered to them the people of the area. A lot of them were Jews that spoke Greek. Uh, there was Gentiles that spoke Greek. And so they, they got together and they started preaching. And they gathered the people. Now these, these, these men are very unusually drawn together. But it isn't it true that, uh, that the gospel brings people together from all different kinds of backgrounds? And we see that now so much so as uh, there are so many immigrants in America now. We see all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and nationalities and races and, and languages gathering together to worship God together. That's the way it's going to be in heaven, by the way. When we get to heaven, we're all going to be there regardless. All, that is all the same. We're going to be there regardless of the background or where you came from or whatever the situation was. And we're all going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. But we're that now. Amen. And so these people from different walks of life gather here at Antioch. That was Barnabas. Barnabas had been a rich man. His mother was rich and they owned a lot of land in Jerusalem. And they, they, they got saved in Jerusalem and, and persecution came. So Barnabas and his mother went out and sold all their property and brought their money and gave it to the apostles so the Christians could eat. That's the kind of guy he was. That's a good man, don't you think? Now God uses him to come here to basically, he was the one who basically gathered everybody together and started the church. And Simeon, that was called Niger. Now this uh, Simeon was, a, was probably an African. And he was with this group in, uh, uh, in, in the city, in the church of Antioch. And then there was Lucius or Cyrene, and he was, he was probably, he could easily have been the one who carried the cross for Christ. Uh, we're not sure of that, but it could have been. And he was from northern Africa, west of Egypt. And, and he was one of them, among them. And then there was Manian. And Manian was, uh, the Bible says, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. He was, he was Herod's foster brother. Can you imagine that? And Manian was the uh, one who uh, prophesied when Herod was just a child that Herod would become the king someday. They call him a prophet because of that. And Manian, Manian here uh, probably fled away from Jerusalem because he was well known. He was a member of the council, Herod's council. And he was, uh, probably lived in the palace with Herod. And Herod had this great big palace in Jerusalem. It was actually bigger than the temple site, this palace was. It was surrounded by, the, by a wall. And, and you can kind of imagine that that big palace in Jerusalem, every day there was uh, caravans of, uh, of uh, food and, uh, and things that came into there because he had a great big uh, entourage and he had uh, soldiers to feed and everything. You can kind of imagine this big palace and all this food and all this occasion going on around this palace. Manian was a part of that. And what happens here 
all of these people with these different backgrounds, an African, a Northern African, uh, here uh, Barnabas, a Jew, and uh, here is uh, here's Mannion, uh, Herod's foster brother. I mean, from different backgrounds, the Bible says they were all together there. I would have liked to have been in that church, wouldn't you? At least I would have liked to have gone there and held a revival and got acquainted with all these people. I, I would like to, some of these days, I told Lois tonight, I said, some of these days, when we get to heaven, we're going to talk to these people. And they're going to tell us if, if that guy was really the man who carried the cross for Christ, that was going, that's going to be quite a story to hear, don't you think? And, I, and what God did in the life of Manny and this, uh, this foster brother of Herod, uh, for him to be one of the main men of the church at Antioch. Now the Bible says, and they ministered, in verse 2, to the Lord and, and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein to have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and so on and so forth. Now here is some men, some great men in this church of Antioch. And some of the characteristics of this church, I think, ought to be copied by us today. Here, here this church, a special church, is a church that uh, had a mind to work. They, they, they were workers. You know, the Bible calls us workers together. I preached on that at our, our, our meeting up in, uh, up in Syracuse. Paul said, we are workers together with God. And, uh, you know, we're workers. That's, that's what God has given us to do. They said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work. You know, it takes a lot of work to build a church, amen? In fact, it takes a lifetime of work to build a church. Not just simply bringing people in and, and paying the bills and, and all of those are things important, but it's also work to go out and invite others and bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ. These men were men that were separated for a special work. I mean, it took a lot of work to start that church at Antioch of Syria. It was a, it was a town that uh, was right along the coast, and because of it being a coastal town, a lot of people came in there. So they had a lot of people to talk to and work with. It was a town that suffered a lot of natural calamities. There were some earthquakes that devastated the land. They said at one time there was an earthquake when there was 20,000 people in Antioch killed. It was, a, it, was a, it was a town that needed the gospel very desperately. And they were there doing the work. You know, I like people who have a mind to work. Dr. Vick, one of the greatest men that I've ever known, pastor of the great church in Detroit, Michigan, he told us boys at Bible college, he said, if you want to, have, if you want to hire a man to do something, find a busy man. Don't, don't find somebody that's not doing anything. He said, you hire him and it won't be long, he won't be doing anything for you. 
How are you a busy man? Somebody that's already got a job. And see if you can't recruit him for your job. You know, a, a hard-working person is always going to have work to do. He won't be a lazy couch potato drinking Pepsi and eating potato chips all the time. He'll be active. He'll be committed. I mean, that's a good word, that word committed. Committed to the cause of Christ. That's what these people were. They, they were, they were hardworking people. I mean, here they had to leave Jerusalem because of persecution. I mean, old Herod was killing them. And the, and the, uh, the high priests uh, were, were killing the Christians. And, uh, and uh, there was Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. He had a license to arrest the Christians and take them to a Hitler-style slave camp and uh, abuse them and then kill them. He had the license to do that when God saved him. And so they had to go up there, and when they got up there, they were from out of town. They had to work and establish themselves, and they had to work to build a church. And after all, that's what we're here for. That's why God has let us stay here, is to carry out His work. You know, otherwise, whenever the first moment we got saved... I mean, maybe not even a minute later, God would just take us to heaven. But he leads us here so that we can, we can serve him. We can work him. There are people with a mind to work. And then they were separated men with a call of God. Uh, the Bible says here in verse 2, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Separate them from out of the world. I mean, the, the key word is boldness and character and dedication. Throughout the Bible, you'll find men like this. There's Daniel who was carried away into a foreign country because of his nation being destroyed. And the Bible says he would not defile himself with the king's meat. He had separated himself. And God blessed him. And God blessed him so much so that Daniel became the most important man of the whole kingdom. Think of that. Because he was separated. And then these people at Antioch of Assyria, they were spirit-filled men with a uh, real sincerity and dedication uh, to God's work. The key word was involvement. They were involved in God's work. They were filled with the Spirit of God and had a sensitivity to the leadership of the Spirit of God. That's why they were praying and fasting and asking God to lead them is because they were sensitive to whatever God told them to do. They would know it was God. And they would go out and do it. Boy, what a wonderful thing it is to... To have a, a church full of people that are men that are sensitive and dedicated, separated, working people who want to do something for God. You find that ingredient in a church, and I'll tell you right now, that church will be filled wherever it is.
Now what happened? Is it okay? I don't know what I'm doing to this thing. When I was a kid, you know what they called me? They called me Jinx. And I was getting, maybe I'm jinxing this thing or something. Okay, but uh, uh, we were talking in a service about our, my revivals in Korea a lot of years ago. And the interest that seemed to be there all around us. We built great churches there. We had great revivals. And some of the most dedicated workers I've ever seen anywhere in any country were those Korean Christians. And my... When our, when our family landed in Korea, the first time we were together there, I was there before that, but this time I had my whole family. It was the hottest day in the history of, of South Korea. We landed there and we hardly had time to uh, take a shower and get out to a big tent revival. The tent was probably big as this auditorium, maybe not quite as big, but it was a big tent. And by the time we got there, it was filled and not only the tent was filled, but the lot that, we, that was on was filled. And they had to go get the police to keep order. I couldn't even get to the pulpit. There was such a press of people there to hear the Word of God. I finally got up to preach, and when I got up to preach, there was people actually sitting all around me. I mean, the platform was full of people. And I could hardly move because there was bodies all around me. And I sensed that most all of those people were going to want to get saved that night. I preached a simple, simple gospel message. And I asked somebody when I went in there, what are we going to do with this crowd? How are we going to try to lead this crowd to the Lord? They said, well, Brother Clayton, we have 30 soul winners here. I said, well, what can we do? And they said, well, there's a church building just down the street here. So I told them, I said, now, uh, when we get through with this sermon tonight, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to be saved, then go down to the church and stand in line. And I preached the gospel and I said, now if you want, I, I reemphasized, if you want to be saved, go down to the church. And the whole crowd went down to the church. We had the soul winners, 30 of them in there that night, and they were taking three to five people together at once, and they'd bring them in. We had to have somebody at the door to hold, hold the door shut because the people would flock in, and uh, we'd take them in there and lead them to Christ and, and get them out of there, and then another bunch come in. And it was sun, it was the daylight the next day when we got through with those people to Christ, there's so many of them. We took them out there and baptized them. I don't know how many hundreds got baptized. But there's five of us stood in line and five people would come out. We'd baptize them, say the words and baptize them. Another five would come out and we were out there all day baptizing. Such a great response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That church is still there today and doing a great work for the Lord today. But in order to maintain that great church and to keep on keeping on and doing the work of God. It took a lot of people like these Christians at Antioch of Assyria. And because of their dedication to God and because of their surrender to the Lord, these people, if you read and study, they send Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas out later 
and a, a number of other men went out from there and they went all over the known world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right from that church at Antioch. They really had some great characteristics, don't you think? And it really should be the character of every church to be people dedicated to the work. People who are separated for the work of God. People who are spiritual, spirit-filled men and women uh, sensitive to the leadership of God. All right, now let's look at the other Antioch. Antioch of Presidia. And uh, we kind of find that starting in verse number 14. And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Presidia and went in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto, sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have, have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. Now Paul stands up and he starts to preach. You know, you find a Baptist preacher and you say to that Baptist preacher, what do you got to tell me? Buddy, he's got a whole, he's got a whole basket full of truth, amen? And that's what he does. I, I really don't have time to read his sermon here. It goes from about 17 to about down to about verse uh, 41 or 40, 41, somewhere in there. It's a long sermon and you might want to read it. I mean, it's long for the Bible. It's not a long sermon like I preach. But it's a great sermon and he preaches the gospel. And then when he gets through, the, uh, in verse 43, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They had some good results here. Preaching a powerful message in Antioch of Presidia. And the next, verse 44 says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. <laughs> Oftentimes, I've gone to preach in towns and the whole town would come out. Sometimes a mayor would meet us at the uh, going into the city and the whole city would come out, sometimes small, sometimes medium-sized cities. Everybody in the whole town would come out in the street to hear me preach. Well, I can remember those occasions and I'll tell you, it'll really spoil you for, uh, for preaching in America. And... Uh, but everybody came out. I, it's happened. It used to happen to me sometimes in America. I recall preaching in a place called Caton, New York, and everybody in that town came out to hear me every night because they were afraid that if they didn't, I'd say something about them and they wouldn't be there. But uh, that's what happens here. And almost the whole city uh, together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Now these Jews are the Jewish leaders. 
and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Look, look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. When the persecution came, they got courage and they waxed bold and they preached. And some of the Jews refused them. But in verse 48 it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. The, The news went out through all the region that there were men here, men of God, preaching the truth. Look at 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Now here is a town about 300, 400 miles away. Same name. And the people in this city, they also had some good characteristics. And the, the meeting, the revival meeting that went on there had some good ingredients. First of all, they preached the word without apology. You read Paul's sermon here, and I'm telling you, it cuts right to the heart. I had one preacher said to me, said, Brother Clayton, your sermon offended all my people. I said, no, my sermon did not offend anybody. I preached the Bible. The Bible offended them. You know, you've got to preach the Bible. You've got to preach the truth. Regardless of how people accept it and how they reject it. You come here to this church, you're going to hear the truth. And just like Pastor said a moment ago, build this thing on the teaching of the Word and preaching of the Word of God. That's what a church ought to be doing. I mean, if we can't do that, then why have a church? If we can't do that, we ought to have a rock band and a, and a dance and all the booze that people want to buy. You make more money doing that. You know what we do? We preach the Word of God without apology. And we preach with power. And God did some great things there. I tell some of these young preachers all the time, I, they... they they, they moan and groan about the fact that they don't reach more people than they should. I tell them, all you have to do to have a church packed full of people is just get up and tell everybody they're right, that everybody's right, that there's nobody that's wrong. You'll have a church full of people. You know that guy on television who preaches and he's got the biggest church in America? He don't have the biggest church in the world. There's one in Brazil that there's 100,000, they fill a football stadium, 100,000 people. And uh, so it's not, what is his name? Olstein. Sounds like a cow. Holstein cow. I was telling Lois tonight, I said, when I was a boy, we had an old Jersey cow, and she'd give three to four gallons of milk every day, uh, every milking, and it was half cream. I never, was, I never saw a cow that would give us a rich milk of that old Jersey cow. And, of course, us Claytons, we really, we really drunk that milk up, I'm telling you. And the whole batch looked like it, too, I'll tell you. We were big as the cow. But uh, the calf did well on it, too, I'll tell you. And the calf, but the calf tasted good. But anyhow, 
I don't know how that got in there. But, uh, you know, we, we, we think about this people like Olstein, and he's got this big church. But you'll never hear that guy say one word about hell. He won't warn people if they don't believe they're going to go to hell. You know, I didn't believe it. I don't think he believes anything other than send me your money. And he, he, won't, he won't make a stand against anything and he won't make any definite declaration about doctrine. If the Mormons come, he'll say, oh, that's fine, you're okay, you believe in Jesus, that's all that matters. The uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and, and, and all them, that crowd of cults, they're welcome, you know, they, they would feel welcome there. Everybody's okay, Everybody is, everybody's doing just fine. Oh, you're a child abuser? That's all right. You can sing in the choir. That's the kind of churches they have. Not this church in Antioch and Presidia. They preach the word of God. And and what happened? (laughs) The disciples wax bold. The Bible says the whole region heard the gospel because they were dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, I like these guys, don't you? I like this church at uh, Antioch of Presidia. Secondly, they exalted Jesus Christ above all. You just read this sermon of Paul here, and you'll find it's all to glory to, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. I was studying last night again about what Jesus taught the disciples just before he went up to Jerusalem to die. You know, those disciples knew exactly what he was going to do. He taught them exactly what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. They're going to crucify me. I mean, Judas was there. He heard it too. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die but then after that, I'm going to raise again from the dead. I don't see how it could be hard for any of those disciples to believe that, do you? Because they had seen him raise people from the dead. They know that he was the Lamb of God. And his introduction uh, to, uh, uh, to the whole world was when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. They they were men that exalted Jesus Christ. You know, let me tell you tonight that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Savior. You need something special from God, Jesus has it for you. There's some here tonight, you need a miracle. You need a real life miracle in your life. To overcome some problem to solve some doubt, to, to break some habit, to break some sin in your life. You need an absolute, real, live miracle from God. Let me tell you something. Jesus, the Savior, has the miracle for you, and He wants you to be victorious. We exalt Him here. We tell the whole world that Jesus is the Savior. And then they had great results. The whole city heard the word of God. 
Wow, what happens? A revival comes. Because they exalt Jesus Christ, a revival comes. We've seen a lot of great revivals and heard about great revivals. We had a revival that started back in the 40s that went right on up to the uh, 80s in America. That the world has ever known. We, we, built, we built the greatest soul winning missionary programs that the world's ever known. I mean, even as great as this or even greater. And uh, there was a great revival took place. But at that same time, we had the greatest preachers, I believe, that uh, we've ever had since Paul the Apostle. Great preachers, great soul winners, great church builders in America, in our independent Baptist churches. I hear the story about some of the great revivals like the Welsh Revival and, and uh, I hear about the revival that took place in Scotland in 1953, I think it was, on the, the Hebrides Islands of Lewis over there and hear about all that. But those were Protestant revivals and they really didn't last. But even to this day, we see the results of churches being built all over the world from the revival that took place in America after the Second, Second World War. Great revival. And, because, and, and I think it came because God anointed men of God to preach the truth everywhere. And this church here, this church at Antioch, a Presidia, was at this moment a hotbed of evangelism. And declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great preaching. They were men of God with a great power in their lives. I remember when I was a kid, we had a tabernacle near where we lived. We called it a tabernacle. It was a kind of a camp meeting type thing. It was right, right in the middle of a little town called Carysville, Ohio. Right on Route 29... In, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Shelby County of Ohio. This little tabernacle. It wasn't very big. It was probably about as big as one section of sea chair. It was about a, maybe a little bit wider than that, but not much. And all the farmers in that area would come every year in the fall to that uh, tabernacle meeting, we call it. Boy, it'd be hot in there. We had some old-time preachers preach. And uh, I remember some of them. It'd be so hot in there, they'd take off their coat as they preached, then they'd take off their tie, keep on preaching, and, and, and drop their galluses down, their suspenders, and take off their shirt and pe preach in their BVDs. Billy Sunday used to do that. Some of the old-time preachers used to do it. They had a heavy underwear on. I don't know why they wore it in the summertime, but... They, they would do that. they preach and preach and preach. And I can remember sometimes those old preachers would preach and preach until they got totally exhausted. And they'd sit them down in the front row and the women would gather around with fans and they'd fan them. And they'd sit there and fan these old preachers and fan them and fan them and fan them. And the guy would just be sitting there. They'd be giving him water, sometimes pouring a little on his head I mean, he'd preached 
I don't know, a couple hours, three hours. I don't know what it was. Nobody was in any hurry to do anything. We didn't have any television in those days. Didn't have any entertainment. Any, that was the best thing we could find, you know. And we hear that old preacher preaching. They'd fan him and fan him and fan him. Finally, he'd get his breath back and he'd get up and do her again. And sometimes those old preachers would preach all night long like that. And when the sun came up, <laughs> the people had to work to go back to the, had to go back to the farms to work and milk the cows and whatever it was, so they'd leave. He'd get him a little bit of rest then, and the evening would come and he'd start it all over again. Farmers would milk their cows and they'd come back in there to hear this preaching. And he'd preach and preach and preach and there'd be women fanning him and pouring water on his head, get him cooled down, and he'd go to preaching again. Boy, they were great preachers. You know what? That preaching made a difference in our county, Shelby County. You know, on Sunday, there was one store open in our county. Everybody went to church. That was a great county. Nobody had locks on their doors. One time we were going to go to Tennessee, and, and uh, Dad said to my mom, said, Mom, we're going to go to Tennessee. You think I ought to go to town and get a lock and put it on the house? She said, a lock, Dad, on our house? She said, if you lock this house, somebody come here, they couldn't get in. <laughs> there wouldn't anybody come there and steal anything. They wouldn't steal anything. They're driving down the road. They'd come there and mom would bake biscuits. If we were going to go somewhere, mom would bake biscuits and make a big pot of beans and set on the stove and biscuits up there. So if somebody came, they'd have something to eat. You know, it made a difference in our county. We had a little bit of a jail in that town, but there's no, nobody ever in it. I mean, if you saw the sheriff going in, you'd say, where in the world, what's happened? The sheriff is out there, you know. I mean, uh, we had a little bit of a police force. We, we had some drunks in town, and every Friday night, the police have to go out there and beat up on them drunks to get them in jail, but that's about all that ever happened. You know, it made a difference in our county. You know why? Because... We had people likened to these two towns in Antioch. I mean, even the Methodist churches preached the gospel. And, uh, and, and I mean, maybe there'd be a Methodist church on one corner and a Baptist church on the other. I don't know if you ever heard the story or not, but they said one time the old Baptist preacher was up preaching and he preached against whiskey and said we ought to take all the whiskey and throw it in the river. We ought to take all the beer and throw it in the river. And the Methodist church started singing, Shall we gather to river? <laughs> that was just a joke. But you know, people got saved in that county. And we saw miracles in that county. And, and uh, great things. You know, at school, when I went to school, the teacher would write the Bible and pray with us every morning before we started school. And we had a, our, our, uh, our, the principal of our school was a Methodist preacher. And he'd get us all into chapel service and preach to us. I remember his sermons. 
You know, the effect of that thing was real. You know, I just believe with all my heart that that's what New York City needs. That's what this church needs. Needs a bunch of people, like I talked about tonight, in the tale of two cities. Let's bow our heads in prayer. When our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder how many tonight would say, Brother Clayton, I feel like in my heart I need a revival. I need to return to those things that I have been dedicated to in my life before. That's what revival is. Now, if you've never been, had a life of dedication and surrender to God, then you need to do that tonight. But there are some probably here that need to start back at their beginnings, back when you said yes to God the first time. You need to go back there and start all over again. I wonder how many here tonight would say, Brother Clayton, that's me. I need to start back there again and start all over again for God. Would you slip up your hand tonight? How many? That's, that's quite a few hands. God bless you. And I'm going to pray for you. Yes. I wonder if there's some here tonight say, Brother Clayton, I'm saved, but I have never really dedicated my life to the Lord. I know that I'm saved. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. There's no doubt about that. But preacher, I, I'm not living a good life, and I'm not living the kind of life I should live. And I know it. Pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hand or something like that? God bless you. God bless you. Letting other things, yes, God bless you. Letting other things get in the way, aren't you? It's so easy to let all this junk that's around us all, all the time pressure us to the place we say yes to the pressure and no to God. It's easy to do that. You know that I even have to watch, except, unless I get so interested in, in side things that I don't, carry out the work of the Lord. God keeps me from getting too involved in some things time and time again. And I'm thankful to God he does. But we all have a tendency to do that. It's not something abnormal for a child of God to have pressures from an outside trying to take up our lives and our time. And I, 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 I must admit to you that I have I have temptations that way myself. We all do. How many of you here tonight say, Brother Clayton, I need, to, I need to dedicate my life to the Lord. I haven't ever done it, but I need to tonight. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you tonight? How many? God bless you. Several hands. How many of you are saved and you know you're saved tonight? You know you're born again. Would you slip up your hand tonight as a testimony? You know for sure that you're a child of God. But you're holding up just a moment there. You know for sure that you're saved. Well, thank you very much. God bless you. How many here tonight would say, Pastor, I, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not absolutely sure that I'm saved. If I die today, I'm not real sure that I'd go to heaven. I want to be preacher. Pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hand or somebody like that? Just hold it up a minute. 
All right, let's stand together, please. I'd like for you to sing that, play that song, I Need Jesus, again, would you please? Three, uh, 813 is what it is. Beautiful old song. I want her to play that quietly and slowly tonight with our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and you know that you need to start all over again with God tonight, I'm going to ask you to slip out of your seat and come here tonight and pray. Don't go home without getting some things settled with God tonight. I say, Brother Clayton, I've been down there for Do it again. I need Jesus. Well, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Well, I need Jesus every hour. I need him in the sunshine hour. Need him when the daylight lore. Every day along the way. Yes, I need Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you tonight, in our time of prayer and surrender to thee, I pray, Heavenly Father, right now that you'd speak to these hearts and all of our hearts tonight. That we will not let the things of this life get so important to us that we lose our revival. I pray, Father, that you'd deal with hearts tonight. And I pray, Father, tonight that you would bless, I pray, in a special way for those, Lord, that have really never really been dedicated to God. That right now, where they are, they'd take that first step in dedication and surrender and ask God to guide them and help them and bless them. I pray for a revival from God tonight, as a spiritual awakening from the Lord. We need you tonight, like the song says, Lord. We need you tonight. We cannot do this ourselves. We, we cannot carry this out on our own. We have to have you. And so we pray that you would bless us tonight with your presence and with your power. This I ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Yes, I need Jesus. I want us to sing it in number 817. <clears throat> Let's just sing it again tonight. Let's sing all three verses tonight. If you're here tonight and you've never been saved, I'm going to ask you to come down to the front. We're going to meet you here. We're going to pray with you. As we sing this young song tonight, you come. I need Jesus. I need Jesus, well, I need Jesus every day. Well, I need Him in the sunshine hour, need Him when the dirt floor, every day along the way, yes, I need Jesus. I am God. 
my need I now confess. No friend like him in times of deep distress. I need Jesus, the need I gladly own. To some may bear their load alone, but I need Jesus. Let's sing the verse again. I need Jesus. I need a friend like him, a friend to guide when paths of life are dim. I need Jesus when folds my soul a sail. Alone I know I can't but fail. Yes, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. Need him in the sunshine hour. Need him when the storm clouds lower. Every day along my way. Yes, I need Jesus. Let's sing the third one. As we sing it, need Jesus, I need him to the end, no one like him, he is the sinner's friend, I need Jesus, no other friend will do, so constant, kind, so strong and true, yes, I need Jesus. I need Jesus, I need Jesus, I need Jesus every day. Need Him when the sunshine hour, need Him when the storm clouds lower, every day along the way, yes, I need Jesus. I didn't do a very good job of leading it, but it's a great song, isn't it, huh? Fabulous song. I need him every day. You need the Lord. You need him desperately. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, I'll be around here after the service. I'll be glad to pray with you about that. Go over the scriptures again and show it to you again. Don't live in the presence of doubt and fear. God wants you to have victory and assurance. God bless you, Pastor.